Hi, I'm Dave Reinersen. Welcome to the Marvels of Science, a podcast about the science and tech of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Welcome to Comic Book Science, a podcast about the science and tech of the DC Cinematic Universe. All your favorite heroes and villains from Superman and Darkseid to Lobo and Batman. Speaking of the Cape Crusader, today's topic is all about his inspiration, bats. Here with me to separate bat fiction from bat fact is Kristen Lear, our science expert today. Kristen is a bat conservation scientist with Bat Conservation International. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I should also note that I dropped very quickly the putting bat in front of everything. But for the first couple of versions uh. of this script, there was a lot of that. And our color commentator is Adam Roth Sachs, a friend of mine living just outside the greatest city in the world, Philadelphia, and the administrative director of the nonprofit leadership program at the University of Pennsylvania. He has a long title, too. Thanks for coming on the show, Adam. Thank you so much. It is a long title. Okay, let's take a peek back into our universe for a moment for a disclaimer in the spirit of cross comic collaboration and acceptance this final episode of phase two of the marvels of science is all about one of the most famous and popular superheroes of all time batman no we're not going to see batman in the mcu i mean i hope not but hey when a bat scientist contacts you you figure out a way to do it and the jared leto vampire mcu adjacent movie looks not that good so batman Adam, because I like to court controversy, I'd like a definitive answer from you once and for all. The people want to know, who is the best live-action Batman? Oh, that's a very easy answer. There is no doubt in my mind that it has always been and will forever be Adam West. (laughs) He brought joy to the character where joy has never existed. I just love him so deeply, (laughs) so much. Second (laughs) is Michael Keaton, and that's just because of my age. I grew up watching those Michael Keaton ones. So he's my favorite movie, Batman, but my favorite Batman ever is uh, Adam West. Kristen, do you have a favorite? You know, I ashamedly admit that I have not seen most of the Batman, the older ones. So my age, Christian Bale is who I kind of grew up with. George Clooney earlier on, but I think Christian Bale is my favorite. Clooney was a good Bruce Wayne because he sort of is Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. And he suffered from, I guess that would definitely count as the worst Batman script. That's true. That's why I kind of have enjoyed Ben Affleck as well, because he basically is Bruce Wayne too. Yeah. Also suffering from a script problem, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. We're not going to limit ourselves in this episode to a particular version of Batman because there have been so many. I originally was going to list off everyone who's played Batman and that would take most of the podcast. So we're skipping it. But the Bats themselves have almost always played a pivotal role. Adam, can you summarize the role that Bats play in Batman's origin story? Oh, yes. So they are his inspiration for the character he dons. Bruce Wayne, depending on which version, but the sort of classic one is as a child was deeply scared of bats because of an incident endangering his life, but also where he found his bravery or whatever. So he is terribly scared of bats and also magically lives above a giant bat cave. (laughs) And so decides if he's afraid of them, he wants to make everyone afraid of them, which is the classic Christian Bale moment in Batman Begins where he explains that. So he gets scared and wants everybody else to be scared of bats and thus Batman is born. Thank you very much. Adam, I'm now going to ask you a question that may shock some listeners. And I'm really glad that you are the color commentator for this episode because I know you very well and I know you won't be offended or even really bothered by the question. So here we go. Adam, if you and your wife, Jody, also a friend of mine, hi, Jody, were brutally murdered in an alley in front of your two young children, <laughs> which one... <laughs> Sorry, I can't get through it. Which one do you think would wind up seeking vengeance as a bat hero? Talia. No doubt in my mind. <laughs> that was so quick. Oh, yeah. No, she is sassy. She is. She's got a glint in her eye. She she would seek vengeance upon all. 
she may right now be seeking vengeance on Jody for spilling her milk, literally. <laughs> so yeah, Talia is definitely the superhero in training. Although ironically, Cameron loves all of the superhero, especially the DC superheroes. He's been watching the DC superhero girls on Netflix and loving it. But I think he would be her Alfred. <laughs> nice. That's great. That's a nice twist on the on the formula. A woman and her, her brother as a butler. <laughs> Thank you for, for that. Okay. First bat question to you, Kristen. Do you guys just put the word bat in front of everything? Do bats actually live in caves? Or is that just a Batman thing? They do, yes. Um, so not all bats live in caves, but you know that's the kind of the classic thing that we think of when we think of where do bats live. And yes, there are many, many bat species around the world that do live in caves. But they also live in places like trees, like tree hollows or under bark of trees. Some even just hang from you know tree branches or tree leaves. There's bats that roost in rock crevices and in building cracks. I mean, they they are very adaptable and can live in lots of different spaces. Spots. But they're generally going to try to find somewhere dark and... Yeah, they like protected for sure, right? Like we want a nice, dry, kind of stable house, right? So that kind of what bats are looking for is, you know, an environment that it's not drafty, it's not windy, it's not wet. So that's very similar to what we want. Gotcha. Second question, just confirming something. If there's one thing I am 100% sure of about bats is that they are all definitely for sure nocturnal, just like Batman is, I suppose. Is that true? More or less. Uh, most oh. bats are nocturnal, but there are some that like the flying foxes you might see in like Australia or Africa that are the fruit bats. And they, they just kind of come out in the evening and the dawn and at night too, but they can be active during the day. But most of the bats we have here in the U.S. are nocturnal. Oh, I was planned that up to be just like a nope you're wrong sort of thing i uh, sort of assumed that was a myth yeah bats bats are always surprising <laughs> batman is known for his utility belt full of improbably specific gadgets preparing him for literally any situation adam which of batman's tools would be most useful in your day-to-day -day life do you think oh my goodness that's a tough question and it can't be the shark repellent bat spray the shark repellent bat spray oh well obviously that's the most useful and the greatest but i feel like that the bad grappling hook gun because I'm lazy and sitting on the couch <laughs> and wanting to grab something further away, it, that would be fantastic. I'd probably break a lot of things in my house, but I would still love it. You'd have to have a lot of like metal cups. You could yeah, do that with yeah exactly. Unbreakable plastic, things like that. Yeah, but that would be a lot of fun. And I am constantly being asked by my children to grab things for them. So yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go with the grappling gun. That's a classic. Okay, quiz time. Adam, I'm going to list three bat gadgets. One of them is fake. I'd like you to identify which one. Ready? I'm ready. We have bat fake vampire teeth, bat female villain repellent, and bat rocket gloves. Only one of those is fake. One of those is fake. Wow. I really feel like when these were most popular, the sexism would make the female villain repellent pretty common and useful, especially given Poison Ivy and Catwoman and the female villains he did face. Apparently, you were correct on that. That is a real one. Yeah. That female villain repellent was from a run where it was some alternate universe thing, because they always are, and Batman would not punch the women villains. So yep. he instead just sprayed a thing in their face that would make women run away. Wow. He could have just tried to uh, explain to them why he became who he is, and they would probably run away. Ugh, I don't want to hear the story again. <laughs> exactly. Classic Batman splaining. So we have fake vampire teeth or rocket gloves. I'm going to go with the rocket gloves as fake because they make more sense. And the fake vampire teeth seem so ridiculous that I think they're the real 
ones. That is correct. Yes! Bat fake vampire teeth were apparently a time when there were a lot of vampires, and he was pretending to be one of the vampires. Of course he was. Kristen, this is all lead up to, do we know of any bats that use tools? Yeah, not really, no. They're quite intelligent. They're not stupid animals, but they don't really have, um, they don't have hands the way we do. The dexterity is a little bit different. So no, we don't know any that use tools. Maybe in the future someday. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) That's an ominous way to put that. Right? I also came across a Batman gadget on the internet, not in real life, that claims (laughs) to put out a high-frequency call to attract nearby bats. Mm -hmm. Can you, and this sounds insane now that it's coming out of my mouth, but can you communicate with bats with high-frequency sound waves? That is actually kind of a thing. Not really communicating in the sense of like saying, hello, you know, my name is Kristen, but more, (laughs) more in the sense that they use echolocation. A lot of bats do use sonar at very, very high frequencies that we can't hear. And so even in bat research, some people think that if you put a high frequency call out near like where you're netting the bats or trying to catch them, they might come investigate that sound because they can hear it and they might think it's another bat or, you know, something to check out. So in a way we can kind of communicate with them, but it's not quite the way of just being like friendly communication. (laughs) (laughs) I think it pops up in one of the Christian Bale Batman movies where he calls a bunch of bats to him. I can't really recall why he does that, but if you could call a swarm of bats to you, would that help? Are there bats that attack humans? Like if I wanted to put out one of those calls because I'm fighting some bad guys, I'm struggling to imagine that that would help me at all. Yeah, so they wouldn't attack people. So that's one of the kind of the myth about bats is that they don't they don't attack people. They're they're just like any other wild animal, you know, they're just out doing their thing. But it would be super awesome if we as bat researchers could attract bats to us because that would make it a heck of a lot easier <laughs> to catch them and to study them because that's one of the big challenges of being a bat scientist is that, you know, you're working at night a lot of times, you're trying to catch or detect these little animals that are flying like 30 feet high or even higher. How on earth you get them. So yeah, if we could attract them to us, that would be awesome. As a node <laughs> to Batman's plane, they weren't actually attacking um, in no. that they were covering they weren't. him. No. Yeah, I mean, they can swarm. They can, like, fly around you. But, you know, most of the time when bats are flying around you, they're either curious because they're they're quite smart animals and they investigate what's in their environment. Or if they're an insect-eating bat, they might be trying to catch the mosquitoes or the moths that are flying around you. So they can be great to have around. Speaking of bats attacking humans, I think probably one of the most famous bat species are the vampire bat species. Are there vampire bat species that would go for human blood or is this mostly like rodents and things or cows? Vampire bats. There are vampire bats in Central and South America. There's only three vampire bat species out of over 1,400 species of bats in the world. So there's only three of them. So they're very kind of limited in where they are. And they do prefer, you know, wild animals. They they can feed from livestock like cows or pigs or chickens. They don't go after people. And if people just, you know, have, have houses that are blocked off from bat, there's not that issue. But yeah, vampire bats are definitely a thing and they do eat blood, but they're actually some of my favorite bats. Why is that? They're very social. They live in colonies together, 20 to 100 bats, sometimes even more than 100. They actually have to eat blood every 48 hours or they'll basically starve to death. So if they go out and they, they're hunting, they're, they're drinking the blood from their prey, um, they don't suck blood. They just kind of lap it up from a little cut they make on the animal. But if they go out and don't get food 
one of the days or one of the nights, they will come back to the colony and the other bats will actually feed that individual that didn't get food. And the cool thing is, is that individual that's getting fed will remember who in its colony is feeding it. And when those individuals don't have food, it will share with them. So they have this really cool, like altruistic behavior where they're, they're basically food sharing and, and helping their colony mates out. That's okay. awesome. Yeah, they're all fantastic. I've actually gotten to see a vampire bat. And, uh, we were doing some mist netting, so catching bats in Mexico during my PhD work. And yeah, we, I got to hold one and they're just amazing bats. They're, they're really neat. That's so cool. That reminds me that Batman is often portrayed as sort of a loner. But then he also has this collection of, well, orphans that he trains to be assassins. It's it, He's got some issues. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Adam, I'm wondering, off the top of your head, how many of the Bat family you can name? Oh, my goodness. Okay, let's see. So, Batgirl, who is Commissioner Gordon's daughter, not an orphan. Um, I would put Commissioner Gordon in there because hmm. he really is helpful to Batman. There's the original Robin, Dick Grayson, who I think is the one who later becomes Nightwing. Yep. There are also three or four other Robins after him. And I don't remember any of their names, unfortunately. Alfred, I think. He probably counts as part of yeah. the Bat family. Yeah, yeah, he's part of the Bat He's probably the closest Bat family that Batman has. That's probably my limit. Those are the only ones that come to mind. I think the two Robins that I remember are Tim Drake and yes. Damian Wayne. Because hey, Tim Drake son. becomes a crazy villain. Yeah, because he, I think, dies and then is resurrected exactly yeah i don't know how i forgot tim drake Kristen, are there any loner bats or are they all maybe not as social as the vampire bats you were talking about but are there loner bats like batman seems to want to be yeah there actually are like i said there's over 1400 species of bats literally all over the world on every continent except antarctica so you can imagine there's a huge variety of how they behave and yeah there are some bats like some of the bats we have here in the u.s the eastern red bat for example it's a pretty common bat across most of the eastern u.s and it tends to be a loner it tends to roost by itself or with like mom with its baby or babies and it doesn't live in colonies but then on the other end of the spectrum you have bats like the mexican free-tailed bats that live in huge colonies. These are the bats that you hear of in the Congress Avenue Bridge in Austin, Texas. Also in, in San Antonio, near San Antonio, there's a cave with the largest colony of any mammal in the world. There's 15 to 20 million of these Mexican free-tailed bats in that one colony, in that one cave. Oh, so many. So you have everything from one bat to 20 million and everything in between. That sounds like a big cave too. Yeah, I've never gotten to go inside it, but it is, it's a huge cave. It's pretty awesome. There's actually, Bat Conservation International did some LIDAR scanning inside the cave where they took LIDAR equipment to be able to 3D scan the inside of the cave. So if you just go on YouTube, you can just Google Bracken Cave and, and find that scan. It's pretty awesome. Cool. Wow. Yeah, you can like actually fly through the cave. It's awesome. Definitely doing that. Yeah. I'm guessing that the one thing that everyone knows about bats is they use echolocation. Mm -hmm. We see Christian Bale's Batman use an electronic form of the same thing, I think, in The Dark Knight. Adam, quiz time again. How does echolocation work? Oh, so I believe that bats send out high-frequency sound waves, and they bounce off of things and come back to the sound maker's ears, and they get a sense of where things are. 
based on that. And Kristen, two things. First, can you please grade Adam's echolocation answer? <laughs> and second, is echolocation a common bat feature or is it just a few famous species? I think I would, I'd give him an A, maybe not an A+, plus, but, but an A. <laughs> the basics were there. There's actually a lot of really cool things that bats can do with the sound waves that they emit and then bounce back into their ears. They can actually tell the size of the objects that are you know bouncing back from. They can tell the texture of it. They can tell if it's moving or not and which direction the object is moving in. Wow. So yeah, that wave or that echo can tell the bat a huge amount about its surroundings. And they can detect like, so there's an insect and is that insect worth my time? Is it big enough, juicy enough for me to chase or is it too small for me? It's quite amazing. Wow. This leads us into a common phrase that I'm guessing would drive Kristen up the wall. I don't know. <laughs> like Val Kilmer's Batman does in Batman Forever, by the way. Drives himself up the wall. <laughs> Bravo. <Sorry. laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> blind as a bat. Kristen, can you break this down for us? How good is bat eyesight? So that blind as a bat saying is definitely a complete myth. All bats have eyes and all bats can see perfectly fine. I think you asked earlier about if all bats echolocate. Not mm -hmm. all bats do. So it's mostly the insect-eating bats that are flying around hunting these insects and have to chase them around. And so they use echolocation in addition to their sight. Whereas the fruit bats, for example, they don't echolocate at all. They just use their sight. And their sight's pretty sense. good. <laughs> yeah, right? Right, because the prey is just there. Yeah, unlikely you have to chase a piece of fruit. Yeah, but I mean, their their night vision is better than ours, right? Because they're out at night, so that makes sense. You might see some pictures online of bats, like a bat's face, and it might look like it doesn't have eyes because it's kind of buried in their fur, mm. but they do. They all have eyes. In the context of the DC comic universe, what do you know about Batman's intelligence? I would say a, a bit. In comics, a lot of times, at least comic fans, seem to be sort of obsessed with the idea of ranking all of the heroes. Uh, Think this person's the absolute strongest, the absolute fastest. If we were ranking all these DC Comics heroes by their intelligence, remind me then, because I am not quite as well-versed in DC as I am Marvel, where does Batman fall on this list? I mean, he's pretty up there. I would put him pretty high on the top. Part of it is that his origins are very different than some of the other heroes. So he was either right before or Superman or right after him in terms of development. Um, and originally he was a detective and he was in detective comics and he almost entirely relied on his intelligence, not on his weird gadgets and strength and training and wealth was always a part of it. He was always super wealthy, but yeah, he, he was a detective and needed to use his brain. So I would put him pretty high up there. I think if you throw in Wonder Woman, um, Martian Manhunter, Cyborg, mm. he's probably in the top five. My impression is he's usually portrayed as like the most prepared and best equipped and a perfect predictor of other people's behavior and things like you say that's basically his superpowers his, his intelligence yeah he's a detective at heart Kristen, can you talk to us a bit about real bat intelligence yeah definitely bats are definitely smart they're not primate smart or dolphin smart but they definitely are curious they investigate their surroundings any novel items in their environment they'll check out and a lot of the colonial species have very high levels of social intelligence which makes sense, right? If you're living with hundreds or thousands of other 
bats in your colony, it really pays to have these close, stable, personal relationships with your colony mates. It's usually like the older female bats in the colonies. They're kind of like the glue a lot of times. And if they go off to another colony for some reason, they can take their daughters and even granddaughters with them when they go join another group. So yeah, they definitely have this that social intelligence. They also have really great spatial memory, especially bats that are like, again, eating fruit or pollinating plants and drinking nectar from plants, they really need to remember where those plants are. And so even over years, across the years, they will remember this spot had a lot of great flowers in it. I'm going to go back there this year. So yeah, they're, they're quite intelligent, quite remarkable animals. Fascinating. I wonder, you're talking about colonies sort of splitting off and forming new ones. That reminds me a bit of the only other sort of colony animal I know of, bees, where the colonies will sort of intentionally split themselves off due to like internal population pressures. And it's a generally consistent number within a species that is. That's half remembered. I'm not a bee guy. <laughs> Another DT superhero. <laughs> yeah. Bee guy. No, no, it really. The bumblebee. Oh, come on. No, I'm serious. She's pretty amazing. She can shrink down to the size of a bee. That's cool. That sounds familiar. There's an Ant-Man and a Spider-Man? <laughs> Is there a similar thing that large colonies of bats do? I guess not all of them, because if we have this 20 million member colony, then right. that's certainly not universal. But what are some of the colony kind of behaviors that bats do? Yeah, they can definitely split off. You know, sometimes a roost, like a, a tree, or if you have a bat house, sometimes that roost will become unusable for some reason. Maybe it gets too hot or a person cuts down the tree. So the colony then has to go move and find a new spot to roost in. So that's a time when they could potentially split off into other groups. You know, if the roost that they find won't fit all of them, then they can like split. So yeah, there's definitely that kind of fission fusion movement around some of these colonies. But the really cool thing is that the moms give birth to their baby. Um, most bats have one baby per year, which is a whole nother like crazy topic. But they give birth to their baby in colonies that are called maternity colonies that are other females that will give birth to their baby. And they all raise them in that colony together. It's not like they're caring for each other's young, but the babies are all together and it helps keep them warm. So those groups are really important to keep together because the babies need to stay warm and it helps to have other pups around. Whereas the males tend to, we call them bachelor colonies. They tend to be either individually by themselves or in these smaller groups of males where they're just off doing their own thing. Kind of like our, you know, bachelor pads, right? And Quill, your ship is filthy. Oh, she has no idea. So yeah, they're, they're kind of similar to us in that way. No kidding. The amount of things I did not know about bats is... <laughs> we haven't even scraped the surface, man. There's so much more. <laughs> they're pretty amazing creatures. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to get your thoughts, Kristen, on bat conservation. The fact that there is a bat conservation international certainly at least implies that there are some endangered bat species. So well, first, what is it that drew you to bat conservation? I've just always really been drawn to the underdog. Growing up, I always... I'm not a big sports person, but when I would watch... like. A football game with my parents, we'd be sitting there and I'd ask who was the team that was not favored to win. And I would always root for them because I, you know, wanted the underdog to win. And to me, bats and other things like snakes and spiders and rats, those animals are kind of underdogs because people don't appreciate how important they are. They often fear them, even though they shouldn't. So I was just always drawn to bats because of that reason. And then just growing up, I grew up a Girl Scout and we would go on night hikes 
in the summer. And we'd walk around and you can see the bats flitting above you through the forest. Sometimes you can hear them clicking, talking to each other. And I was just really excited to learn more about them. And in sixth grade, I actually built some bat houses for my Girl Scout Silver Award project. And kind of the rest is history. Went to college and studied bats and now get to... <laughs> make a career out of protecting them. So what are the conservation efforts that are being focused on right now for bats? There's a lot. Unfortunately, about a third of bat species worldwide are either endangered or vulnerable or data deficient, which means we just don't know a lot about that species and hmm. more conservation is likely needed. So that's a third of all bat species worldwide. You can imagine that's a lot of work. So one of the biggest issues facing bats worldwide is habitat loss and habitat destruction. You know, we hear about this all the time in the news and, you know, people cutting down trees and we're clearing the rainforest for agriculture or to build buildings. All of that, you know, is removing where the bats live and it's removing their food sources and where they hunt. So that's a big part of what we do is habitat protection, is working with people to protect where the bats live, you know, protect their caves or protect their food plants if they're nectar bat. We do a lot of renewable energy energy work. Wind turbines can be a problem for bats as well as birds. Mm. So we you know, try to work with wind companies to make sure that the wind turbines are having minimal effect, as minimal as possible mm. on these animals. And then a huge part of really what I do is counteracting these myths and, and is doing education because I think those you know, negative attitudes towards bats plays a huge role in how people treat bats. If we don't know the importance of bats, if we don't appreciate them and think they're cool, we're not going to want to protect them. So that's a, a big part of what I do is outreach and education. I have a question related to that. So when we moved into the house I'm in now, we had bats in the attic. Mm -hmm. And in Pennsylvania, it's illegal to trap them and kill them, which is mm -hmm. a good thing. There are only certain companies that are licensed to remove bats or mm -hmm. mainly get rid of them. So we called one of those and they set up this complicated netting system where basically the bats could get out, but then they couldn't get back in. And so they had to, yeah. had to leave. I always wondered, I, everybody told me it does damage to the attic and can cause long-term wood damage. And But would it have been a better decision of mine if I had just, you know, coexisted peacefully mm -hmm. with them in my attic? It kind of feels personal. So bats are, like I said, bats are not rodents and they don't chew. They don't have the, the same need to chew that rodents do. So they're not going to like destroy your attic in that sense. What can happen is if there's like a thousand of the bats in your attic, they need to pee and poop just like we do. And so they have to do that somewhere. So they'll do that outside when they're flying around, but they'll also do that in the roost. And so that's when it can become a problem for the person is if if there's a lot of bats and there's a lot of guano accumulation. There was quite a bit of guano accumulation yeah. in our attic. So in your case, <laughs> if you had like 10 bats, even like 20 or 30, I would probably leave them. Um, I would love to have bats around my house. You know, they eat tons of insects. They're great for insect pest control. But yeah, in your case, it sounds like it was probably in your best interest to move them out. And they're not going to, they're not like a health risk. You're not up in the attic rolling around in any of the guano. So, you know, like having bats in your presence is not a problem. We've all looked for new hobbies during the quarantine. <laughs> I know, right? right? Like, yeah, it's, and it's quite smelly. So, you know, I, I can definitely understand wanting to move them out. One of the things you can do if you do want to move a colony out of your house is you can put up a bat house near your house, like either on the side of your house, if possible, or on like a pole nearby. And you could put that up before doing the exclusion. And then the bats can maybe find that bat house and move 
into that instead of your attic, and then you can close off the attic. That's good to know. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great question. Are those bat houses generally applicable to most of the bats that live in at least the U.S., where about 70-odd percent of the listeners to this podcast are? Or are Mm -hmm. different structures better in different regions? Like if people out there were interested in putting a bat house outside your house, even if you don't have them in your attic right now, but trying to attract them to live near you so they would eat Mm -hmm. all the bugs in your area sort of thing. Yeah. So the bats that are going to live in the bat houses are the types of bats that would live in your house or that are kind of adapted to living around people. There's tons of great information online about bat houses because you do want to make sure that, you know, it's a big enough house so that it's not going to overheat too quickly. Hmm. You want to paint it a certain shade of a color depending on where you live. If you live more north, you'd want to paint it a darker color. If you live like in Florida, you'd want to paint it a very light color or even white. So there's definitely lots of tips for that. All right. Bat Conservation International, uh, we have some tips on best practices for bat houses. Cool. They can be put anywhere, really. If that sounds interesting to you out there, check the show notes and we'll see if I remembered to put that link in there. Next up, we have a segment in the show called Hmm Technically. Adam and I are going to keep quiet for two or three minutes as Kristen gives us some nuance or details on anything related even tangentially to the topic. Kristen, you have the floor. Awesome. Thank you. I'm excited to talk a little bit more about the coolness of bats because I think, like we've talked about, we need some good PR for bats. Batman was born out of perpetuating a fear of bats. And as a bat conservationist, I try to do exactly the opposite. You are the opposite of Batman. To instill a love and appreciation of bats. I think one of the really big things that people don't realize is that, I know I mentioned this before, but bats only usually have one baby per year. They're not rodents. They're not giving birth to litters of babies every year. They have one baby a year. And so if something happens to a colony of bats, it's going to take that colony a really long time to rebound. And so that's why understanding the importance of bats is critical for bat conservation. And just to give you a little taste of what bats do for us, bats are awesome at controlling pest insects. About 70% of bats worldwide are insectivorous, which means they're eating things like moths and beetles and even mosquitoes. And within the U.S. alone, these insect-eating bats save the U.S. agricultural industry at least $3 billion a year because farmers don't have to spray as many pesticides on their crops because the bats are eating those pest insects. Many bats around the world eat nectar, so the nectar from flowers, and they pollinate those flowers, just like hummingbirds and bees and butterflies do. So over 300 plants around the world are pollinated by bats. Things like mangoes, cacao, which we use to make chocolate, my favorite thing, and even agave plants, which we use to make tequila and mezcal. Those plants are all pollinated by bats. So without bats, there's no chocolate and there's no tequila, which in my opinion would be a very, very sad world. Bats also disperse seeds. There's bats around the world that eat fruit and they either eat, spit out the seeds of the fruit or they poop out those seeds and those seeds grow into new plants. So these bats are helping regenerate places like tropical rainforests. And these are just some of the really cool things that bats do for us. Bats are also really, really long lived for their size. Most bats are really small. They're smaller than your palm, but despite being that small, some bats can live over 40 years in the wild. And so there's a lot of work going on. Can we study bats to learn how they can live so long and live long, healthy lives? And can we apply that to our own bodies, our own immune systems, so that we can live much longer lives and much healthier lives? 
So all of these things make bats really important to keep around. And that's really the work that we do as bat conservationists. That's great. Thanks so much. Yeah. I'm going to have some chocolate and tequila to celebrate tonight. Heck yes. That sounds really good. <laughs> I want to do that too. <laughs> Before I do, Adam, close this out. What are your final bat thoughts? I would like to bring it to one of the least admired, rightfully, villains that Batman faces. Man Bat. <laughs> Even his name is terrible. So Man Bat keeps with a theme for Batman. Uh, He is a scientist. He's a zoologist who studies bats and is studying echolocation and sonar and develops a formula to give that to humans. So out of a positive goal of science, Batman faces a number of villains that try to do good things and then wind up going off the rails. So Man Bat takes this formula and turns into a giant bat and begins attacking people. And it's actually Batman who saves him, who turns him back into a human to stop him from turning into Man Bat, although he reappears and turns into Man Bat a number of other times. In our conversation, I'm reminded a lot of Man Bat and Batman's role with Man Bat what we can learn from bats and what we can appreciate and the benefit they bring to us is great. And so I think it's important that Batman recognized that in Man Bat and didn't just try to destroy him, but tried to rehabilitate him and conserve uh, Man Bat's life. And that, you know, the science of bats was very important to Man Bat's existence. And I've tried to figure out a way to say Man Bat as many times as possible because it's just so ridiculous that one of his (laughs) villains that he faces, Batman and Man Bat fighting each other. But the importance of saving bats and thus the importance of saving men and Batman and man bats, I think, is what I would like to bring it home with. Thank you very much for that, you weirdo. <laughs> Normally, I go right into the outro here, but Kristen, I now have to ask you a final question. Have you ever tried to splice your own DNA with bat DNA? I have not. I okay. would love to have echolocation someday, but alas, <laughs> I have not. <laughs> be careful. I want to be clear, as always, that I love these movies, even some of the DC ones. But scientific <laughs> accuracy is not a necessary component for good storytelling. In fact, sometimes it gets in the way. I want to thank my guests, Kristen Lear and Adam Roth-Sachs, for being on the podcast. Thanks for listening, and cross your fingers that there's a Phase 3. That's all for this episode. Thanks once again to my guests, Adam Roth-Sachs and Kristen Lear. I love that Kristen reached out to be a guest on the show, and I love how excited Adam was to join us. I'm going to ask you a favor. Share this episode with one friend you think would like it. And if you want to go a step further, I'll ask what every small podcast asks. Do rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. If you want to go nuts, support the podcast directly at patreon.com slash marvelsofscience. Audio clips were taken from Batman the Animated Series, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Batman the Movie, Thor the Dark World, Avengers Infinity War, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America the Winter Soldier, and an episode of Community, and all used entirely without permission. The music is a song called On Tiptoe from Purple. Purple Planet Music. That song and more royalty-free music can be found at purple-planet.com. Check out more info about each episode and its guests, including upcoming episodes and the whole next phase, which is going to be very exciting, update coming next week, at davereinersman.com slash marvelsofscience. And find me on Twitter at marvelsoscience. Thanks for listening.